Hi, everybody. This is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, the podcast about creatives, how and why they make the art that they do. And today I have my special guest, Jeff Hinchy, who is a professional illustrator. His credentials include working for the New York Times, the Washington Post, This American Life, and Penguin Random House, and Workman Publishing. He's also done a lot of art direction, numerous production illustrations. So I'm really excited to have Jeff with me today. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, I just have to fangirl just a little bit because I am just uh, in love with your technique and the things that you do with paper and three-dimensional depth. And it's just, it's so exciting when I look at your portfolio or your Instagram feed. Um, And so thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. You're very kind. You're you're good for the ego. <laughs> no, it's it's been exciting. And um, I appreciate all the little tips that you've posted on your Instagram because I bought some of the blades that you recommended. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, you and some of the other cut paper artists. And I was like been using exacto blades. And uh-huh. then several of you guys had said these are really good. So I bought a pack and I'm gonna try them out this weekend. Yeah, you know, it's easy to nerd out on like specific supplies, but, and I know people that like swear by one kind of glue or another kind of glue. And I'm like Elmer's all the way, uh, Excel blades. You know, I just like, like what I like. It works for me. I'm sure there are plenty of great materials that work perfectly for other people, but I'm just like, no, I don't even want to mess around. Well, I appreciate it because I think things like that, because I'm going through exacto blades, like I buy them in bulk because I go through them so quickly, but those kind of things are helpful. But I could go on about materials and technique, but I wanted to ask you what inspired you to become an artist? That's a great question. Um, I mean, it feels a little cliche to be like, well, ever since I was like a little, little kid, So I'm not exactly sure if I can pinpoint it, but um, I had an older cousin, um, Anthony, who was like a very good, very good drawer, you know, who I always thought like, oh, wow, you know, and I used to love to watch him draw. And um, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And then my uncle, Jim Hinchy, was a graphic designer and an artist and he lived in New York and I grew up in Ohio and every time he would come visit, it was just like the coolest, he, you know, he was the coolest person in the world, you know, an artist, you know. So I feel like I was always looking up to artists from a young age. I loved going to museums. My parents took him took me to museums whenever I wanted to, you know, so I just felt I had an excellent uh, art education in my public school in my town. Um, so from the time I was in the first or second grade, I was an art aide and I would come in early and like cut clay and, you know, like do all sorts of things that made a kid feel important in that art environment. So I just feel like, you know, uh, I don't know where it came from exactly, but uh, it feels like it was always there. Oh, well, that's wonderful that your family was so supportive about your art interests, because I know that for a lot of parents, they were worried that artists will end up, if their child becomes an artist, they're going to live under a bridge in a cardboard box somewhere. So um, to know that your family, you know, encouraged it and you had somebody who was working professionally as an artist, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So I forgot to include this as a question because 
you went from doing that and doing these extraordinary three-dimensional pieces and how do you how do you get from doing what you were doing in your younger years to these amazing pieces that I just want to reach in and jump into that world yeah well so I would say for me personally like finding a personal style has sort of been a very lengthy quest um and when I was a kid like rather than sort of like using my own voice you know in k through 12 really um I would sort of I was obsessed with Matisse and so I was like really like into cut out shapes you know and then I was doing sort of like um lino prints in that style and then I was doing like oh I like I really got into his paintings that are so like rich with pattern so um just sort of mimicking and then I'd get into a different artist and I'm like oh now I want to try landscape painting or now I want you know um so I had all of those very diverse interests and sort of explorations. Um, and then I went to college, uh, I went to theater school um, as a set and costume design major um, at Carnegie Mellon University because I was very, very interested in theater when I was um, in high school. Um, but I wasn't, I knew I wasn't an actor. I knew I wasn't, you know, I knew what I wasn't. And I knew that I was also an artist, you know, that I, most of my time in high school was spent in the art room. Um, and so I was like, well, how do I marry these two interests of mine? You know, like, what is the, what is the, what does the artist do in theater? Um, and so I went to a very, um, awesome theater school, very competitive theater school, um, to do just that, to do, which I always say it's very funny to choose something so incredibly specific when you're 18, 17, 18, is like, how could you possibly know um, you want to do that thing? It's so specific. Um, and I, you know, I adored my college education, my college friends, my college professors. Like, again, I really lucked out with having some amazing mentors there uh, that I'm in touch with to this day. Uh, my friends from that school are still my best friends. So like, it was all super awesome. Um, and I worked professionally as a set and costume designer, assistant set and costume designer, associate designer for Broadway shows for a long time, um, probably about 10 years after graduating college before I realized that I wanted to get back to um, my work. Cause I was doing a lot of sort of process work for other designers, you know, at a certain level, um, you're working for like a, a lead designer or a main designer on these big Broadway shows. And they're like, oh, you're the guy that uh, can hand draft everything beautifully, or you're the guy that can draw trees, or you're the person who can build this model, or, you know, all these various elements that go into, um, I mean, I would say specifically within set design, you know, there's model making, there's drafting, there's, you know, all of these components. Uh, storyboarding, rendering, uh, pain elevations. And that's all the work that I would do. Um, and within that world, that theater, New York theater world, people who did that um, knew me for doing really amazing work, but not for like being the name, uh, um, you know, the lead designer, you know, it was like a very small uh, uh, 
I mean, not a small pool, but you know, certain people knew who I was and what I could do. And uh, other people are like, oh my gosh, you worked for that person, you know that person. And I'm like, yeah, I actually, you know, drew all of those backdrops. And they're like, no, 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 you didn't do that. That, cause that's that designer did that. And I'm like, no, that designer hired me to do all of that. And they're like, no, that, you know. So I wanted to then get back into, you know, let me, stop building other people's brands really you know what I mean my like and I enjoy that work so much uh but I was sort of like hunkered away in an art studio and no one ever saw me and I was again being a mimic I was doing like uh this play needs a drawing that looks like a Mary Cassatt and this you know like this is now we're doing something in the 1960s, we're doing hair and it's the 1960s and we need a mural. And now we need, uh, you know, the wedding singer and we need you to draw a DeLorean and now we're doing, you know. So it's great fun. I mean, that's the joy of theater is it's always changing the subject matter and the style. Uh, but I really wanted to focus back on my own work. Um, and so I decided to go to grad school uh, and I went to Savannah College of Art and Design because I'd been living in New York for such a long time. Um, and I was sort of on the precipice of turning 30 at the time. And I thought, I not only do I wanna like uh, focus back on my own work, I wanna get a different life experience at this point. So um, obviously there are amazing schools in New York, but I'd already lived in New York. So I didn't wanna just like stay there and do that. So moving to the South uh, was a really fun and great time. and. Uh, even when I was in school, you know, like I was always sort of smashing materials and techniques classes uh, because again, it's like everything I've done is like do this one thing really, you know, like it was, it was never, um, I mean, that's just been my experience is trying to do all these many different things really well. So applying it back into how that is my own work um, only at my end, end of the time in grad school did I really sort of hit upon this idea of taking all of the elements from my experience and putting them into one illustration? So I have some cut paper and uh, sort of more meticulous model making that I would do from theater, um, sort of a more traditional drawing technique, uh, photography and layering it all back into one image. So it's a little, for a while it was a little bit of like, let me take some of some of this from over here and some of this from over here and you know and pulling it all in and being like is this my work and then it's like well let me push this one away a little bit and pull this one and let me do a little bit more drawing in here or let me do a little let me simplify my cut paper shapes a little bit more so it you know and as an artist you're all you are always honing in on that so you know and i'm still doing that but I'd say it's in the past five years that I've really sort of pulled it all together and something that just sort of sits really nicely with me as that, like, this is my work, you know, this is my style. So long road, long story for a short question. Um, no, it's, it, it's, it's comforting to know that somebody of your skill level, like went through kind of that exploration and, I've been encouraged by other people who've already, you know, they've attained a certain level with their work and they really encourage that exploration that it really can help you figure out instead of being so focused on that um, style early on, just kind of have fun and sandbox and figure out what it is that you love to do. 
Yeah, you know, and I, professors have always been like, well, keep a sketchbook every day. And the more you work on your sketchbook, the more you'll just sort of discover. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, just not a sketchbook person that never resonated with me. And even when I was in grad school, I would be working on Broadway shows to help sort of support myself. So, and I would be doing that remotely. And another designer, um, Robert Perziola, who I worked with for a really long time, actually, that's one of his renderings. He's a tremendous artist and I learned so much working with him, um, you know, but I was in grad school and he was designing something at the Metropolitan Opera and he's like, can you build some model furniture for me? And I'd ship it up from Savannah to New York. And um, another designer I worked with, Scott Pask was doing Promises, Promises and the Book of Mormon at that time. So I was doing storyboards for the Book of Mormon from Savannah. Uh, and then I went back to the city for the summer and worked on that show more um, in its earliest, earliest stages, um, way before the, the thing that people know now. Um, but uh, I was too tired to keep the sketchbook. I was, you know, I'm drawing, I'm drawing for assignments and, you know, I love the school environment and doing all of that. But then I'm also like, I have to do this work and this work is also drawing. And so it's just... For me, it was like, I'm fortunate enough that art has always been my job um, in one way or another. So it's not like, you know, and I had many friends uh, in grad school who were coming directly from undergrad or had never really had a job before. And so it was just a different experience for them to be like, well, I, you know, I'm pouring myself into this sketchbook and I'm going to carry it with me everywhere I go. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm like, well, I have to work. I have to work right now and working is drawing. So I'm a little bit burnt out and, you know, probably took me longer to figure out what I wanted my own work to look like because I mean, just I was at a different point in my life and, you know, supporting myself and, you know, um, all of that. But you found it and it's like, all that exploration, all the work that you've done. I always feel like the previous experience, like don't discount anything you've done in the past because you just never know where it's going to take you. And like something that yeah. you did, like for me, Cut Paper was about when I was a little kid and I was just like, oh my gosh, we get to do a diorama. Oh my gosh, I get yeah. to do paper dolls or whatever. And I still have some of these things that I made. They're just <laughs> terrible. But I go like, I see where that interest and the, that, like, I don't know, I see this in your work. I feel like every time you go to a project, it's it's something that you're just so excited to work on, that that joy, the excitement that you're putting into it, like uh, your projects, like it's, it's there. I mean, it does harken back to that childlike, you know, I always want, I do always want for my work to feel playful, even when it's sort of serious content. Um, and a lot of heavier topics in editorial. I mean, I'm, you know, um, people come to me not with like the heaviest of um, content, but you know, it can be like lifestyle stuff or, um, you know, I, ju I just try to bring some joy uh, and I use bright colors. And so mm -hmm. that's doing a lot of the work for me, but you know, I built um, entire cardboard cities for my Ninja Turtles and stuff when I was a kid and I loved that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it's that moment of play. I have a cousin, um, a cousin of mine sent me a picture recently of uh, her little son who's maybe three or four now um, 
made like a, a cardboard dollhouse in that way, you know, where it's like just boxes that are open on one end and and uh, he made a potty, he made a pot, it was like labeled potty out of cardboard and it's so crude. I mean, it's, you know, not like oh, content yeah. crude, but yeah, it's like it. <laughs> done, it's like a child made this thing and it's so perfectly imperfect that I'm like, oh, yes. I want to make a potty like that and put it in an illustration. Cause it's just like that, it just feels so like exuberant in that way. Yeah, I noticed that in my students' work when I taught elementary art, I would just be like, oh, you did this in like five seconds. Like grown artists would be like, if they could, you know, do that and put that kind of joy and exuberance in their work, you know, because I think as we get older, sometimes it's harder to tap into that. Yeah, and I have friends, fine artist friends. Um, another one, my friend Aaron Hudak, who did this thing over my shoulder, um, is very good at harnessing like that sort of joy in her own sort of abstract work that's like bright colors and confident line. And, um, but the also the color pairings are so sophisticated and it's sort of like to marry your adult brain with your like childlike ease. You know, people sometimes people are like, oh, that's so easy. It looks like a kid could have done it. And it's like, do you know how hard it is as an adult to make something that looks like a kid did it is and like have that sort of like, delicious vibe is so hard um so when you see someone that does that and you're like wow that like has such a good feeling to it like that i'm like totally into that and you also teach and um i can tell you have the heart of a teacher because you were just so kind to talk to me previously and share your just experience and knowledge and your technique and um what made you want to become a teacher and uh, teach um I think that it's just, I've always had great teachers. I mean, um, if I had terrible teachers, I don't know that I would, I mean, I'm, I guess that would be sort of like you would rebel in the other direction. If I had terrible teachers, maybe I would wanna become the teacher that I wished I had. But I had just awesome art teachers. I'm not like, I'm so fortunate. You know, when I went to college, my art teachers were like, you're, skill set is higher than everybody else's and I'm like why well, great I've been going to art classes in and outside of my public school since I was like five um so I would hope that I would know something but my teachers were just like so great and then you know building off of what my um college like what I learned from my college professors and like working professionally for uh Bob Perziola who's like probably one of the best painter drawers renderers in the theater world, you know, he taught me so much. And he's like, no, no, I trust you to do this work that I hold so close to myself. Like, I, I trust that you can do what I want. And then I go to the next school and they're like, oh, you are already, you know, you're already doing materials and techniques like at a different level than other people. And, you know, so like, it's great to get those compliments, but I would not have been any of those things without those teachers. So, and I've always loved being in school so for sure there yeah I mean I've probably always just wanted to be a teacher too because I've had such great mentors throughout my life um I was just teaching adjunct um filling in for a professor who was on sabbatical um and it was my first sort of like solid entry into teaching at the college level uh which was great um but 
again, I feel like I want to absorb more experiences before getting back into that more. I mean, I would, mm -hmm. if I had a professor, I would want them to have like the most wonderful resume I've ever seen. And in theater, I was teaching scene design and, mm -hmm. and also sort of illustration aspects within scene design. Um, I have a longer career in theater, honestly, than illustration. And when you look at that resume, you're like, oh, he worked on uh, three dozen Broadway shows and these TV shows and blah, blah, blah. So like, I feel like there's a little bit more of a solid foundation for a student to look at and say, this is a person who has done this, you know? And, um, you know, I could certainly teach illustration now but for me I would like to have more I want to like I'm not done working 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 at it so I'm not ready to be like uh perfectly focused on that aspect but I'll get there I mean I know I want to do that more so wow it's just interesting to hear somebody of your level say that they haven't reached that point and I'm just like when I look at your resume I'm like oh my gosh his resume, it's like, this is like amazing. Like, I'll go like, he's done all this stuff from editorial advertising to theater work. And so like, like there's always room to keep growing. Well, yeah, you're always, yes, you're always a work in progress, right? And like, I know the first time I got like a big job with like the times, I'm like, oh, I can put that on my resume. <laughs> and then the next time you get another job and you're like, and you look at other people's resumes and you're like, they've worked for this magazine or this magazine. Like, wow, I mean, is that even possible for me? And then you get one and then you get two and then you get three and you're like, yeah, yeah, but I want to keep going. I'm going to, you know, and so I get, I get what you're saying. Um, and we all look at that, like, I want that. And then you have it and you're like, no, no, I want more. I'm going to keep going. Not, it's not like I want more. I want more. I mean, it's not like, but it's just like, yeah, I'm doing the work, you know, and I'm like, I want to just keep working. I just want, and you know, there's big name jobs. You recognize the name of the client and there's small jobs. You don't recognize the name and they pay maybe more to be honest, or, and it's like, I just want to be working, you know, as a freelancer, we all just want to be working. So that's the more, I mean, it's like, just like, let's just keep going. Let's get this ball rolling. Let's keep working. And then after a time, it could be like, okay, let's teach for a while. Nice. Well, um, I really appreciate you sharing that perspective. And so it's evolved over your career working in theater and um, freelancing. Um, I guess I'm changing my question on you on the last minute. I'm so sorry about this, but I was wondering, so because you kind of answered it with what you said. And so I'm thinking about in terms of where do you see the work of a freelance illustrator, how it's a, like, say for those who are listening, because I have people who are fellow graduate students in illustration, like, where do you kind of see freelance illustration going in like the next five years? Like, you know, is there, do you see like one market being more um, getting larger or do you see like maybe certain skill sets that illustrators should have in order right. to keep working or getting work? So I work really traditionally um, because of all those previous wow. experiences of mine. So I actually build things, I actually draw things, I scan them and then I layer them all digitally. So I would say I am like 
a Photoshop expert and I do some sort of like digital painting for TV jobs now. Um, but um, I'm very, I'm very traditional in that. And if I were to travel back in time and talk to myself, I would say just learn Illustrator and do get really good at that. Because the fact is uh -huh. um, editorial budgets have not increased okay. really, I mean, since I've been doing it, sometimes they go down. Um, and from what I hear from peers and colleagues, you know, those rates are not getting better with inflation. You know, um, you hear stories of like uh, Charles Adams uh, doing Adams Family cartoons, uh, you know, for like, and was like a huge success doing that, just like these little like newspapers. And it's like, I don't, the heap was probably making a killing when was that in like the 50s and it's like the budgets probably haven't even changed that much over time so to be perfectly honest um <clears throat> i work very fast doing the work that i do that might surprise a lot of people but it's because i've worked the way that i've worked for such a long time that i've developed a shorthand for myself and i can i'm good at visualizing something in three dimensions when I'm sketching and making it match and but it is time consuming. And a lot of people think that I get extra time and extra money for the work that I do, but I don't because that's not how the business works really. The business it says, everybody has four days to a week to do this newspaper job and uh, everybody gets the same amount of money really. I mean, so while I'm happy that I've developed this style that now people look at and identify and say, oh, we love how you're combining 2D work with the 3D work. Um, but you know, it's the people who are really good at digital illustration and like uh, Illustrator that make the, they make the schedule work better for themselves with the tools and technique. So they're, when they're paid, $850 to do a, a newspaper job. Um, it's worth more because it takes them less time and effort. I mean, I'm generalizing because I don't know how anybody's process works. And sometimes the whole point is that it looks effortless and the idea is stellar. And, you know, you're paying for the person's brain too. It's not mm -hmm. just like, but sometimes it's just like, how fast can this person get this done? And, you know, I, I do think that, um, people working dig digitally is just gonna be more and more. And people think that I work digitally. People think that they're like, what program did you, people will message me on Instagram. What program do you use for 3D, for like 3D rendering? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I cut that out of paper and I photographed it. But thank you for thinking that I made that in a computer. Um, yeah, digital. Uh -huh. Because I just don't foresee budgets increasing that much, yeah. especially, uh, you know, in the past year and a half, like I had, you know, 2020, when that hit, I lost all my theater work, I lost all my TV work, which really does supplement my income, um, you know, and, and then for me, I had a really nice snowball effect with illustration work and clients. And for me, that really dried up a lot in 2020. I had very few jobs. Um, so now, I mean, I just did a job in December um and the the client they said we just don't have the budget at this point after the two years we've had with 2020 2021 we don't have the budget and we uh, we would love to pay you this much money but 
uh, we can pay you like two thirds of that, you know? And so if that's the direction we're going in, you know, I just feel like everybody need, you know, um, if you're if you're slow <laughs> and you make amazing work, like I'm not saying that's bad, but like you want someone to pay you uh, for the amount of effort that it takes you. So like, if you start doing editorial work with a short time frame, you gotta like make that. You gotta like really sort of address uh, and streamline your process to make it worth your while because. Uh, you got to make the money when if this is your career, you know. Um, if, I mean, if you're truly needing the jobs to support yourself, um, mm -hmm. then you got to make the timing and the and the technique work for the budget. So, um, if I could go back ten years, I maybe would just focus on that digital. You know, your supplies are in your computer, and uh, you know, it's not like oh, I got to get to the blick and buy 10 sheets of paper for this one project and you know it's just a different different horse um but yeah do you find that the work because i'm unfamiliar completely with how the process works for or even the workflow for a set designer for theater um, I'm just only aware of what it's like being a freelance illustrator is there a lot of similarities or differences in those two fields or is it so um here what i what i the the biggest similarity to me is um reading a text and um interpreting the and and interpreting the text visually i mean that's like mm -hmm. obviously that's the same thing and it's narrative based usually i mean in illustration editorial illustration you're reading an article or you're expressing a concept it's it's not just like fine art developing your idea apart from context, right? So with theater and TV, there's a script, you know, and um, and in theater, it's, it's a very collaborative art form. There's so many people involved and in illustration, it's much more compact. You know, you have maybe four people you're working with. In theater, you have like four people in the studio that you're working with, but then there's also the costume team and the lighting team and wow. the choreographer and the director and the playwright and the stage manager. And the, I mean, there's just like, and then there's the cast and there's so many people involved. But to just hone it down into the, into the designer's studio there, um, you know, you start with the text and then you do research. And I am a research person. Like I remember TAing in grad school and, you know, some of the undergrads would be like, oh, I drew this tree. And I'm like, what kind of tree is that? Uh, like, I don't know. It's <laughs> a tree. And it's like, well, maybe th like figure out what tree that is. Like uh, what, where is this just fantasy or like, uh, is this, you know, trees are different in every part of the world. So where, where is this illustrate? Where, is, what are you drawing? Do you know what you're drawing? Do you know what kind of house that is or what kind of clothes? those are like to really do research for me is always a huge part um, and in design. And then you do you do rough sketches and um, you develop those rough sketches into a white model usually in theater, which is more akin to what you see in my own work, like mm -hmm. flat cut out shapes or, you know, it's um, 
and you work your way, you can work your way into, and I feel like a lot of British designers are more model focused with the maquette, you know, like the beautiful, mm -hmm. gigantic, perfectly realized model where flowers look like flowers and, you know, mm -hmm. um, so that's a very highly realized um, thing, which I'm capable of doing too, but I pull it back in my own work to be more of that sort of like uh, simple paper layer, paper building shape exploration. Um, and that's a big part of design, but it's a, it's a process step, you know, it's like, uh, and then the finished art that you would do in the studio is maybe the paint elevations that work as a map for a backdrop or um storyboarding uh, i do a lot now um rather than paying like i when i first started in the business back when we used to print blueprints which doesn't happen anymore you know because you just print on a pl digital plotter oh. um you would do paint elevation like at your desk with acrylic paint and paint a you know a beautiful backdrop at scale and then you'd give it to the scenic artists and they would blow it, they blow it up, you know, they draw it huge, they paint it huge. It's like an art form unto itself, being a scenic artist. Now people are like, well, wait, if that guy painted the paint elevation, can we just scan that and print it? So that's what I that's what I get a lot of those jobs now. People are just like, well, we want to print that. So uh you still only have four days, but uh we're gonna print it. And they're like, well, it's going to take, you know, they want to cut costs and corners in the same way they just want everything to be digital now. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm a little off track from your question at this point, oh, but, no. you know, um, they just want to like make everything wants to, they want everything faster and cheaper. And you're like, well, if you take out those skilled hands, those skilled artists that translate a paint elevation into a backdrop painting, and you just want to keep it like, you know, you don't want to pay someone for a, a week of work to paint, to do the paint elevation and then pay 10 people for a week to paint the backdrop. They want to cut the, all those people out and they're like, hey, you, you still have this amount of time, but we need something that's high resolution enough that we can print it at 30 feet tall. Um, and we need, and we need that in five days. And you're like, well, that's not really how it works. Like in order to get that quality, you have to give me more time yeah. on this end. Um, so it's a get, there's a give and take there. Um, but so all of that finished those in the process work in design, you know, those elements are sort of parceled out those like illustrative elements. Um, so there's, I mean, there is a lot of, there is a lot of overlap and intersection. Uh -huh. Um, I feel like what's so important is that text and that research and then those those like rough sketches that get you there to the final to the final work because in theater the the final work that people know is just what they see on stage they don't yeah. unless there's like a book or a program that comes out where they highlight that process work you know you don't know oh. you know I could list all these people that work in theater who are the most incredible artists like this person can computer draft and make it look as good as a hand drawing and this person can sculpt you know, trees and fabric out of foam. And this, you know, like all this amazing artwork that you just don't know. And these people exist and they do this amazing work in that industry. Um, it's fascinating. Wild. I mean, like I had really no idea that it was, that was that many people involved in the theater process and putting a, but it makes sense. Like when I think about it, like it's like 
constructing a bit, you know, a world, you know, and it takes a lot of people to make a world believable. Um, where illustrations a little bit were, you know, it's more like, okay, it's on a book cover or it's, you know, it's not as meant to be consumed. I mean, I guess in terms of live theater, you know, where you sit, like the times I've been in a theater setting and when all of those things come together, I feel like I'm, do you kind of lose track of everything around you and you're just watching the play go on and all of those things just immerse you fully into that that world so being well, able when to, you work on it when you work yeah. in those, those you when you sit in the audience you're like scrutinizing all the corners and the, you're like let me look up there and you're like oh is that i can see some of the backstage or i mean you just like pour yourself into it differently when you're you know when you're trained to have your head in it but you're right you know as an audience when the when the product is high quality, you lose yourself and you focus on the story and the actors and, you know, you don't probably notice all the, you know, effort that all, like so many artisans uh, put together for you. Uh, but also it's a little bit elitist. And I mean, I don't want to say that theater is elitist, but tickets are getting so expensive in commercial theater uh -huh. and um, in TV with streaming platforms, like the, it's a very watered down market. There's so much to choose from. So it's like, wow. there's something lovely about the fact that like a newspaper is, you know, has illustrations on it and that people observe casually uh, in the grocery store checkout line. You know what I mean? Like that is art. I mean, you're no less of an artist for doing one thing or another thing, but like, it's lovely to think that your art is hitting people's eyes in a very casual setting or like in a, throughout the day um, in ways you can't even anticipate versus someone being like, I finally got a ticket to see this show for $270, um, which is so cool. I mean, it is, I love it, but it is also like, you know, you have to have $270 to see that art versus, um, you know, I didn't even have to buy that. I just went to Barnes and Noble and browsed it. You know, I just like, or the library or, you know, let's not forget libraries exist. Yeah, that's true. So what has been the most challenging aspect for you as a freelancer in the business? Um, you know, the the business of it is hard um for me so you're trying to find clients you're trying to like find people to connect with and when you're starting out you have to make those uh you have to do all those searches and find mastheads and art directors and email addresses and you know that is a ton of work and then updating your website um is a lot of work uh doing the um, invoicing and contracts and um, even bidding and budgeting a project with people. I mean, I loathe that saying, well, how much, you know, I mean, years ago when someone's like, well, how much can, will you do this for? And it's like, mm -hmm. the, you know, there's the handbook of um, the graphic designers guild of handbook of ethical, blah, blah, blah. That's a long, it's a long title. I'm, was, I'm forever, scanning those pages and I'm like this is what you should be paying me and people are always like well exposure exposure do it for exposure um and you're like no you have to pay you know sort of bartering over how to value yourself is 
yucky. It's such a gross thing. Pay everyone. I mean, I'm of the mind where it's like, pay us all, pay everybody a ton of money because we are, we're all awesome. Um, I hate that part. I have an agent now who takes care of that for me and I default to him and we discuss, oh, can we get more money or more time for this project? Uh, and I love that uh, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, but I still have to, now I have like, I'm always updating my website. I have an illustration website and a theater website, which I hardly ever update. I have uh, my workbook website and my iSpot website and my, uh, I mean, there's so many websites that I'm on. You would have no, I, I mean, there's just so much business. So anytime I have an illustration come out, that day is just like, okay, I've got to upload this into like 19 different places and then email the social media coordinators of these different websites. And then I have to, you know, it's just like, it's a lot. So that is always sort of like a challenge that people don't think about. Like, it's not just the work you see on the page, but like in that downtime and like, if I'm not, if I have an easy week, then I honestly should like try to update my contact lists and, you know, um, just all of that stuff that is, you know, it just takes so much time for, I mean, and I don't have an assistant and we will, I mean, you know, you're doing this work for yourself. So there's, you're just like, you'll sit there and you'll be like, can, uh, can I get someone to do this for me? <laughs> it's a lot, it's a big job. It's a big job. Oh, well, I, it's funny when you mentioned that cause I've been sending things out recently and I feel a little like it's stalkerish dating in a way freelancing. Cause it's like, you're, you're that girl in the room or on the dance floor and you're like, I, I want somebody to ask me to dance. Oh, please ask me to dance. And so you're sending out your calling card, I guess, like your emails and your postcards or whatever. And and then if you're lucky, you, you somebody asks you to dance and do a job or they're kind of like, well, can we see maybe a little bit more of what you can do? And then then I'm like making a phone call. Maybe I should, you know, I've I've just tried to be a little bit more um, on top of things because I think what you've said is like you kind of you there's all these things that you're juggling and you have to kind of make sure that you're keeping up with all of it. It's not just doing the artwork that. Part's yeah. and, you know, I get what you're saying about feeling stalkerish and I, ha I have those feelings, too. And, you know, different people have different schools of thought on like how that, you know, um, my agent, Richard Salzman, it always says, um, you know, it, it, I, I get personally offended when like I send something to people and they unsubscribe in like three seconds. And I'm like, did you look at it? I mean, but also it's unsolicited and like, you can't really, you know, it is what it is. So I, you know, I shouldn't take it personally, but there's a part of you that's like, oh, um, Richard says, you know, you're, you're, these people, it's their job, art directors, creative directors, it's their job to um, find people to work with and put people together in projects. And they should always be appreciative to have someone be like, hello, hi, do you want a new artist? Here I am, put this in your file. You know, like it's, um, you would think it would be lovely for someone who has to find those people, but I also understand that it can be very overwhelming. Um, if you get a ton of people sending stuff to you. When I send out mailers, I'm and 
I, I will say, you know, I've been sending out mass mailers, try to do it once a month, which is just oh. one image, one image with like very little words because you nobody is going to read it. It's like nobody wants to read a resume that's more than one page. It's like nobody is going to scroll down far enough to like read any, you know. Uh, so it's just like, here's a picture, look at it or don't look at it, you know. Um, I've had people that contact me after, you know, I've been sending this stuff out for years and they're like, oh, I, I've just, I, and they never respond. And then one time they respond and they're like, I've just loved all your emails and now I'd like to work with you. And you're like, oh, I didn't think anybody, you know, you're shouting into the void. I didn't think anybody was listening to me. And then you're like, oh, people were looking at that. And it turned into something that just took time. You still get excited when you get those contacts? Oh yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's great when you send something out and someone replies, just like, this is great. You know what I mean? And I have the first art director that I worked with at uh, the New York Times, Bernadette Daschle. Um, mm -hmm. I've worked with her several times and uh, she's just fantastic. Uh, when I send out a mailer, she replies every time and she just says, this is great, you know? And that means a lot because I respect her and you know, and I like that working relationship, but just to know that they, and she took that moment to just be like, cool, you know, um, it's, you know, it's validating, that's validating. Oh, well, that's, that's good to hear, like, that they, you know, there are art directors who are willing to reply back. I mean, I've, I have been fortunate that some people have emailed, they're just like, we're going to keep it on file, and you just kind of go like, how long's on file for, <laughs> you know, and so I just know now, I just got to keep going. So yeah. don't give up, just keep sending. Well, so a couple of other, I mean, I can say a couple to like, just like take it down this road for a second. Okay. Um, you know, I uh, entered competitions mm -hmm. um, years ago when I finally won a thing or was re recognized, I used that nugget to try to find an agent, cold calling agents saying, hey, this these people like me. Maybe you will want to represent me. And that started me on my journey where I ended up with Richard Salzman, Salzman International. And he's very supportive of my sort of work and my vibe. And I, we sort of hit it off in that way. Um, but when I signed with him and um, had to put all my work on his website and, you know, when I was doing that initial process work, uh, I put, uh, you know, it's like trying to choose like 20 images out of whatever you have. There was one image that for, that I did in grad school and I was like, you know what, I'm still really digging this, you know? And uh, my friend, uh, one of my best friends at the time was like, you should have that in that portfolio. Um, I'm not even kidding. A week later is when Bernadette from the New York Times was like, I love this image and I wanna use you for this. And that was, and you're like, wow, I've had, that's been in my portfolio for 10 years. Like nobody's paid any attention to it. And that happened to be the one thing that probably landed me that job and also um when i first graduated from grad school and i moved back to new york city i was meeting with people in person meeting with art directors um and i was still working in theater uh, a lot i mean so much at the time um so i'm like let me go i'm gonna go meet with this person this art director at men's health or whatever and they're like we really hit it off and they're like oh i meant to tell you that i'm um going freelance and I'm not working here anymore and I'm having a family bye, you know, and you're like, oh, I hit it off with this person and then that didn't, you know, or like uh, I met with some people at the New York Times and, you know, I'm showing them my book 
And because uh, we had a book then, which is hilarious. Um, it wasn't just websites. Um, and I had my little um, promo postcards and, you know, because I used to send out actual physical mail. Um, I had one art director who was like, looked at the postcards and was like, great, I'll just throw this in my filing cabinet full of these other postcards. And, you know, they were like, you're like, oh, like, that hurts. You just like stabbed me in the heart. Um, that thing that you're taught that is like really gonna like set you apart and be distinctive. You're like, he's like, let me throw it in a filing cabinet full of these. Um, and like, I had people that were like, I don't like any of your work. You should, I like this one thing and you should totally redo your portfolio. <laughs> I mean, you get all sorts of feedback. Um, but, so, and, and one person at the New York Times was like, eh, eh, you know, it was a very like, eh. So this past fall, that same person reached out to me and they were like, I've loved your work for so long and I'd love to work with you. And I'm like, do you remember who I am? Like, do you remember that we met um, 10 years ago and you weren't into it? Um, I mean, of course I didn't say that because, you know, that's embarrassing for everybody involved. So you're just like, I'm just like, I'm excited to work with you. And I mean, and I'm going to make you fucking love me. Sorry to curse. Um, oh, no, it's okay. And, uh, and it, went, it worked out great. I mean, it was a great experience. And so like, and that's someone who did not want to work with me, who then was like, I want to work. He sought me out again. I want to work with you. So those are, I mean, like all of those things that you think are not things that aren't happening, that are no-goes, like time, just time and persistence. And then you're like, oh, wait, that worked out. Awesome. I mean, you never know. You really never know what is going to hit someone. I mean, you never know. That's awesome. Now you hit on something about working with other people, even though it's like you're working with a smaller group of people for illustration. I've always kind of told my um, high school students like soft skills people like they are so important. Like I feel like if you're working as I mean, I guess there are those people if you're just so big, you can tell people however you feel or you're not going to do something. But do you do you feel like is I I've that when I've worked with people it seems like a lot of it was they liked my work, but they also liked working with me in terms of like a project. Do you feel like that has some bearing? Um, I do. Yeah, a hundred percent I do. I'm trying to think of people who maybe have bad attitudes. I have encountered some people who are pretty terrible in the industry, like not that I've worked with myself, but where you just like kind of observe and you're like, you are not nice. You know, I remember, and when I lived in New York, um, I live in Minneapolis now um, because I don't work in theater as much anymore and I can live wherever I want doing illustration, yay. Um, so I'm in Minneapolis now, but when I lived in New York, I remember going to like the American illustration party and um, there was a guy that I knew through circle of acquaintance, friend of friend, another illustrator and he, um, introduced me to like all these contacts that he had there, but he would like say it in a condescending or belittling way. Like, oh, he thinks he's an illustrator or he is a set designer who wants to be an illustrator. And it's like, you know, I just like, it was a very catty and like, you know what I mean? And like, there are people who are just not 
nice. And like, I'm not one of those people that believes that like, I'm gonna get work by putting other people down. I mean, hopefully we're all doing our own individual thing well enough that, and there's enough room for everybody. Um, like even you who does cut paper, like your cut paper is different from my cut paper and you should nail it and get your jobs. I mean, like I, I, I would have nothing to gain by putting you down or bad talking you behind your back, right? Like you have everything to gain from being a nice person who helps people. Um, it's always about just like lifting each other up and like saying to that other person too, like rather than being the person who's like, oh, uh, that person would do it for this much money, I'll do it for less. You know what I mean? Like we all have to lift each other up. So, and it's always my friends who are artists and you know, we're always like, how much would you charge for this? Or, you know, yeah. or like, can I get a piece of your work and I'll get a piece. And it's like, what's the friend discount? It's like, I don't want the friend discount. I wanna pay you yeah. like all the money that I have to give you because, um, what we do as artists is so unique and distinctive. But so I always feel like it's better to just be nice to work with. Um, and, you know, sometimes those interactions with art directors or creative directors can be rushed or glib because everybody is busy, but you can still be like, you know, follow up emails and thank yous. And, you know, um, I do, I mean, the people that I work with and that, and getting a repeat job with someone feels so great too. And because you're like, wow, not only did you like, we, we, we work together, but you want to do it again. That, that in and of itself feels great. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I had another thought there, but I just lost it. Oh, it's okay. It's all great. It's all great. And um, how do you maintain a balance though? Because I can tell you're very busy doing all the things that you're doing and probably want a personal life as well. Is there any advice you would give? Because I have a family and I have, I will hopefully go back to teaching and pursuing a freelance career. Have you found anything that helps you kind of balance those or is there just no balance? No, no. <laughs> I want to be optimistic about it, but I'm not that person. You know what I mean? And I'm like, um, I don't know, I, I'm, a, I'm a weirdo, I guess I don't keep a good calendar. So like when a project rolls in, then I make a very specific calendar for that. And I, and then I get another one that overlaps and I have like all these post-its on my wall where I'm like, you know, the, you know, these are all the important dates and I just peel them off the wall when they're done. But like, I just go gung-ho into it. And, and, you know, I still feel like I'm at a point in my career where like, I don't really want to turn any work down. Um, because you're still building yourself, you're building your brand. So, it, you know, I, uh, I was teaching this fall and I was um, flying back and forth to Evansville, Indiana wow. and uh, teaching for two or three week stretches and then coming back to Minneapolis and working uh, and Zooming with my students um, off and on. And then I had this October where I had like back to back to back to back illustrations and you know like you can you can be a busy person and pepper in those jobs and you're like yeah I, I got this but then when you have like two of those or three of those um then you're like it just becomes a struggle because sometimes I mean and especially I'm thinking back to like 2020 mm -hmm. um 
there was not, there was no, I mean, there were like months where I had no jobs, Mo like months and months. And you're like, well, I guess I'm done. You know, you're just like, I guess this, I guess this work just where I don't know what you, it disappeared. Um, and I feel like we're all in this, it, it's a really weird time. So like, yeah. it's, a, it's lovely to get the jobs and you, I want to mm -hmm. crush it. So I'm like, I just like, and I always try to deliver early because you never know when another thing could pop up and you have to bump a schedule. Like I never put anything off because I suppose I have the luxury of not, you know, I have a partner who is very helpful and we have a dog. I don't have kids. We don't, you know, like it's a, um, so I don't know how people do it with family and kids that you have to love and tend to and support also. Um, that's not, that's not really, I don't have the bandwidth for that. So anytime someone's like, and my artist friends who are like, oh, I ran out of time for my own work this month or, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but you made a kid who drew something. Like, mm -hmm. they're like, I, I haven't drawn and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but you made a kid who drew something. So like, it's not like, didn't do anything. You have this whole human that you, you know, that you're, I drew a flower, your kid, you made a kid who drew a flower. That's like incredibly cool. Um, so I don't know how people do it. And I'd, I'd like to believe that the more um, you're enmeshed in it, or maybe you get more well-known or that, 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 that the work-life balance evens out. Um, but um, yeah, freelancing, home studio helps, you know, you're not like mm -hmm. spending all, I mean, it helps you to just sit at your desk all day and eat lunch while you're working. Um, you don't get those breaks. Um, I, luckily my, I mean, I have a partner who's like, you, here's a sandwich you didn't eat. Or I, I, I don't have terrible, terrible habits, but like I get hyper-focused. And so it's good to have someone there that's like, take a minute or, a dog where you're like, let's take that break. Because when I worked and lived in New York City, like even though I hated a crowded subway, like that time you're on the subway is time that you're not working. You know, you're listening to a podcast or a book because it's too crowded to hold a book. I mean, I remember having a book on the train and then you're like, it's too crowded, I can't. <laughs> but those are nice forced breaks for you. So, um, you know, it you have to have a supportive, crew in your own life to help you get that work-life balance if you're doing it on your own um I'm not one of those people that can do that it's like I need some people that are there helping me um but also I have the luxury of you know I don't have kids I don't have um a lot of those extra duties that people are biting off um but and then also bring them um probably a wealth of joy you know um I know some people, artists that are like, I just don't have enough time because I have my family right now. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you have a family. It's so awesome. You should be excited. And they are, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But it's like, let's not overlook the fact that like you have this lovely family and you have work and you have, you know, it's not like, it shouldn't feel like one or the other for people. Like mm -hmm. I'm into like, you know, yeah. let's be excited let's... about all the aspects of your very busy artist life. Yeah, I think that if uh, having the family for me has been an inspiration for because I want to do children's books. And so being an art teacher, having had that experience and um, 
having a family, they, it's always something to draw from visually. Like, oh, I remember how my son would stand because kids always do these awkward, you know, you're like, how does somebody yeah. stand like that and turn their knees? And, and it's like having been around for me or just reminds me, okay, that's, that feels natural or, and I draw it into my work. So I think, yeah, it's just, you take whatever from your own life experience and yeah. somehow put it in your work, even though it is commercial work. I, I feel like you, we all sneak things in. Um, and do you have any suggestions if um, for art teachers who are listening and they have a precocious art student and, you know, you see promise in them, what do you give as advice to nurture that? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I feel like I've had the most artistic growth as a student when I get um, more pushback from my teacher. Oh. I think, I mean, I think I recognize that from my own education. Yeah. So when I see uh, a student who shows more promise, rather than sort of being like, okay, you're in this class because it's right now, uh, like you're in this class to fulfill a requirement or you have some interest, but you're not, this isn't for you. But when you see someone who you're like, oh, you're trying, I mean, you can tell when there's someone and you're like, I'm going to push back a little bit. Like your ideas are great or, but like you didn't pick your best idea or like you're like, can I give you, like, can I be a little tougher? Like, yeah. like you, you, your skills are high, but your idea wasn't there. You know what I mean? And I feel like, you know, pushing back, you know, other times it's like, you're doing a great job and I don't have much to say to you, but when I feel like a little resistance helps people grow more, mm -hmm. um, or just being like, give this a shot or like, mm -hmm. you were good with this. Well, like, why, if you, if you like watercolor, why don't you try gouache? Like, why don't you just like push it? You know, there's always ways to push it. I had a student uh, in my scene design class. Um, you know, I had a handful that seemed to really excel. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them was a, a stage manager, uh, not a, not a visual artist per se, but very, um, craftsy and very meticulous and they you know I reliably delivered strong work to me uh every project and I'm like are you sure are you sure you don't like the things that make you good at this assignment will make you good in all the area and any whatever you choose to do you're organized you're meticulous your craft is high you know those things do, they, they carry to whatever you want to do, but it's like, are you sure you don't want to do, uh, you're not a visual artist? Are you sure? Because you're good at it. Cool. And as far as, oh, any thoughts on teaching during this pandemic? Because you said you did virtual and then you did in person. Um, did you feel like that was difficult or did you feel like, you know, were you kind of a, a duck to water with that? You know, how was, how was that experience? No, I mean, I'm not like a Zoomer. Like when I joined you here, I'm like, where's the button? Um, <laughs> so my, and my, my poor students, you know, I would be like, am I recording this? Am I not? Am I? And they're like, you have to click the screen share button, you know, like all these little things <laughs> um, or not, you know, cause they couldn't share their work. Um, I started, so I was filling in for a professor on sabbatical. Um, I was teaching a course that had prerequisites 
so I was new to the institution. I was filling in for someone who was gone. Um, they had an interim head of the department. And um, with COVID protocols in place, like I was able to teach class because the room was at 50% occupancy, but other classes were Zoom only. Um, so I, not only was I new to the institution and dealing with it, I was having zero interaction with any of the people in the department. Oh. Um, I was there sometimes, I was not there. You know, it, it was hard for me to diagnose what the students had learned previously or should have known because it was just my first, you know, I, the way that I jumped into it, it was like, um, you know, are you well-versed in the elements of design and composition? Because I think that is a prereq. Oh, you're not. Uh, are you familiar with watercolor? Do you know the difference between hot press and cold press paper? Do you know? And then it's like, oh, I guess you don't know that. Are you, do you know what, like, you know, there are a lot of them were just like, because they, and they're sophomores and juniors. So their whole college has been Zoom basically. So like even interacting, I, I really lucked out and, you know, I was with them for the first three weeks of the semester and that helped develop a rapport with them that carried through the semester when I was away or, you know, but it was difficult and it was very isolating for me because um, I never got to build relationships with other faculty. Uh, I, I was just very much on my own. Um, and theater is a very collaborative, as I said, it's very collaborative. So like, um, I never met these other professors. I, ne I was never sort of like brought into a community. I was not getting my emails returned. And like, I don't wanna discredit anybody, but obviously it's hard for everybody to teach during this. So like, obviously everybody's worn thin trying to make it work out. Mm -hmm. And as, the, as an adjunct faculty filling in, I just sort of like glided under people's radar and like, I never quite found like, um, you know, I would, there's a, I would have probably taught uh, some more core fundamentals to my students if I had an extra semester, because I feel like we were jumping into things that they didn't have the basis that they needed because they've just been learning by Zoom and you can't teach art by Zoom. I mean, you can't like, you wanna be in there and be like work, work now while I'm with you. Yeah let me watch you draw. Let me like touch this paper and see what it feels like compared to this paper and do, like use these materials. You can't do that on Zoom. You can't, you just, you can't. It's, and teaching art is like, uh, it for me, and it should be like a chill situation in a nice room, oh, an inviting room with people where you're like exploring things together. And then that allows you to be like in critique or whatever, however you're assessing, that we, we're all comfortable talking to each other because we're all exploring together. And so when you're doing it only by Zoom or half and half, it's just like, it's hard to like get that groove. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how people have been managing and, I, and it's such a weird time to be a student. I don't know how the students are managing it or how, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah, because it's rough. Yeah, it is. And I, I think the in-person learning, like you said, the demos and things that are live and you can kind of get up and you can touch things, but it's also been like 
I just went back to in-person classes um, for SCAD and it's been like the instantaneous answers. You're like, it's like the sky opened up and you can ask the professor, okay, at this moment, I am thinking this and I have this question where I feel like it's Zoom because it, the way it's structured, it's really hard to get those questions out. And you, you're kind of like, okay, do I put it in the chat? Am I like, okay, no, you got to wait for that little pause. And then, oh, I forgot my question. It, I don't know. It's just kind of weird the way uh, virtual learning is. But then what I did find that I do like about virtual learning when I was working full time as a teacher, it was conducive to my work schedule to be able to get all my work done. And so I could teach during the day and then just look at, okay, this is what I need to work on. But then it was always missing that component of being able to like, I have so many questions right now. And though I read everything and I've watched the videos, I'm still a little lost on this. So if I had like that five or 10 minutes of just being able to talk to the professor. So I found office hours were just incredibly invaluable. And I would like schedule and be like, okay, I got to get somebody to cover my class so I can make it to office hours and talk to the professor if I have to. But yeah, I do feel like depending on how your learning style is, and I feel like the vast majority looking at how my son is, you know, they just do so much better when it's in person because I'm lucky I've had like time away from school so I can time manage or kind of figure out like, okay, this is my weak spots. But when you're young and you just kind of, I, I feel like for my son, when he went to virtual, it was like, he didn't really know what was going on. He was pretty lost in the sauce. And it was no well, fault of the teacher. Like people are like, uh, obviously anyone learning, any student is yeah. suffering because of this in some way, but also I'm sure they're getting stuff out of it that are going, that are like, they're adapting in ways that mm -hmm. we don't even know the benefits that they're going, you know, like, yeah. uh, when these kids are 30 they're gonna be like weirdly good at some things and we're like why are you so good at that you know and you're like oh because of this weird time in our lives where you learned how to do that thing that no one else could do i mean it's like gonna be it's, it's just very weird i mean there's benefits like you said schedule benefit i mean there's benefits and also like um pitfalls to yes. all like on but for all of it learning and teaching that way and with my students in person it took a while to get them comfortable with me in person and like talking so we'd discuss stuff and it would be easy in class to be like oh you you know and then um you know that and that took a few weeks to sort of develop that with two times a week and then um and then you move to zoom and you can't talk in that same way and you're like oh we just did this. we just got there and now we can't talk that way now and i'm like anybody anybody want to speak you know and then after like a class of that then i'm like oh i have to just ask directly because so it's not like in person where you're just talking which is always so much better for me where i have to be like i'll talk for a little bit and then i'm like hey you what do you have to say and then it's like that you know you have to be you just have to like push it a little bit more and then it's like okay now you what is what are your thoughts um as opposed to because everyone otherwise is just sort of like sitting alone quietly <laughs> <laughs> I think it's some, it's some of it is because we're so used to that live streaming. Sometimes I wonder, is it because I've been watching a lot of YouTube or the live streaming and it's always just kind of just coming at you. So you don't feel like you're really interacting like there's, so, but there is a difference. I think there totally is. Well, and, I'm in my forties. And so like, I feel like, um, 
even when FaceTiming, I mean, I was not, I didn't jump on to Skype when we all started Skyping. I mean, people were doing that for work or whatever, but, you know, just FaceTiming or like video chatting or any, uh, any of this tech stuff mm -hmm. never felt real to me. I'm like, where do I look? Are you, are we talking now or are we, uh, it, it, there's a, there was a disconnect. And mm -hmm. even now talking to you, I, a, after now years of doing this, like uh, I feel like we are talking. So and like the, for anyone learning now, they're just gonna like they take that as fact. They're gonna be like, no, this is just communication. This is what communication looks like. Um, whereas for me, it's like takes me five years to realize that we're actually talking in real time. <laughs> it took me a while. Like it, I don't know. It's just interesting. My son is very much like um, he understands like when he's playing a video game and all these voices are people he knows that are friends and they're all gaming it. And it's just such an abstract concept to me. So you have this headset on, you guys are all there. You're all in this game together. So do I have like five other teenagers in my living room right now? It just like blows my mind because I'm like, can they hear, hear me yelling at you to go take the trash out? I mean, it's like things like that. It's just such a weird concept, but it's so normalized because they're just yeah. grown up with that. And so it will be interesting to see what the next like, decade is like because that's truly when you get to see like oh how did that all play out and it's like you just never know so it will be very yeah very interesting to see how that works out but I have taken up so much of your time and I appreciate all of the generosity you have at sharing your expertise and your um, working experience as an illustrator and a set designer where can people see your work uh yeah jeffhinchy.com Wonderful. I will. And put my, my Insta, I guess. Oh, yeah. uh, it, my Instagram is Jeff Hinchy Art. It's Jeff underscore Hinchy underscore Art. Wonderful. I will put those in the description box um, below the podcast and also um, put some more information about your background. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for being on this um, episode. And everybody, th thank you for listening to My Creative Life. Bye.